This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today we've got a very, actually two very special guests with us, uh, Pastor and Sister uh, Johnson. I'm super excited about this particular episode. I, I think it's needful. The, the topic is um, is very, uh, I, definitely not unique, but uh, always has different facets and, and ways that we can uh, look at it. So I, I'm excited. Uh, I think that this is needful, especially in, in the hour that we're currently living in. Um, so, uh, Brother and uh, Sister Johnson, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell the listeners a bit about you briefly, and then we'll get right into the discussion. Okay. I'm Mark Johnson, and this is my wife. Marcy. And uh, we've been married for 42 years and uh, have done a lot of different things in ministry. Currently, we serve as senior pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, Elkhart Life Church. I'm also district secretary for the Indiana district. Um, I work with Tupelo Children's Mansion, and um, I serve with Reach Out America, which is the disaster recovery arm for North America for the United Pentecostal Church. So uh, several hats that we wear, a lot of different jobs and responsibilities. So uh, it makes life interesting. Yes, it does. Amen. Um, so we're going to be talking, uh, uh, I, I guess we titled this, What About Love? Um, and uh, as the, you listeners know, um, really your, your Christian walk is centered around that. Um, the Bible says that God is love. Um, so it's important for us as Christians to, first of all, understand love, to acknowledge love, and also to engage in the act of love so um i'm just going to go ahead and give you folks the floor and uh maybe as we get going um you can ask questions or i may have some questions and uh we'll just we'll just sort of go with the flow and see what the lord will do so before before we get started i want you to give your background marriage and that kind of stuff as well so uh, last time we did a little give and take and i thought we need to start out that way so people know where you're coming from. Absolutely. So uh, I'm most of my listeners know, but uh, I'm Brother Brandon Crooker, um, stationed in uh, Winterport, Maine. Um, I attend Crossroads to Calvary. I am a part of the ministry uh, and worship uh, leading team there. Um, been there for several years. Been in the apostolic faith my most of my life. Um, been in the ministry for about 10 years um i'm I'm married to my wife kelly we have five children we have another one on the way super excited about that and uh god has just been blessing us um i have the 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 podcast i have the pentecostal periodical um you know and i'm just i've written several books and i'm just excited about what god's doing and just glad to be a part of it well that's awesome we we have three adult children all three of our boys are in ministry we have one in uh, chicago one is my assistant and one is a uh, assistant to the pastor in uh, maryland so uh, all of our kids are adults in ministry and uh, very very actively engaged Um, so We've been married 42, almost 43 years. This year it'll be 43, right? This year it'll be 42. This year it'll be 42. See, I have a memory (laughs) here that I bring along with me and I use quite frequently. Um, So we've been preaching about love recently. I've been preaching about love and talking about love. And obviously this is going to play after Valentine's, but it is Valentine's week. And your thoughts naturally turn to love and relationships and uh, what's love got to do with it? How important is love? How important and how to effectively um, engage your partner, your other relations in your life, your church, your church family, your coworkers, um, your extended family. How do you engage them in love? I'm 
reading a book right now, so preachers have a tendency to talk about what you're currently engaged in. So there's a book called Wired for Love, and it's understanding your partner's brain and attachment style can help you diffuse conflict and build a secure relationship. So interesting book, and I, um, I'm not all the way through it, but I do recommend it for anybody that's interested in understanding um, what often happens at conflicts in relationships. And um, I think even in today's society, most people will still acknowledge men and women ha are different. We think different. We approach life differently. And I don't mean all men think the same and all women think the same. But generally, opposites attract in a relationship. And so you've got to learn how to deal with the opposite sex. And conflict and conflict management is always a part of that. And not everybody does that very well. In fact, most of us probably fail um, a percentage of the time, maybe a higher percentage of the time than we want to admit. But uh, what causes that? Um, there's background, there's your, the way your parents uh, raised you, the life experiences you have, the heroes that you had growing up, the people around you, I don't mean Superman, but the people around you, your pastor, uh, their family, the people that influenced you growing up. I grew up around a church. Um, we attended when I was young. Uh, my dad was not. My dad was a military uh, man, he served 24 years in the military and then retired. Um, and uh, we le we lived next to the military base even after we retired for the whole time that I was growing up. Uh, I was raised in Columbus, uh, Georgia. So he was not in church and my mom was in church. So that divided family dynamic uh, really, I think, had an impact in my life and my wife has a completely different perspective <laughs> my turn completely different um my family was not military obviously i grew up in central indiana and my dad had a small farm that i grew up on with some cows some pigs well we ended up in a very large pig farm and uh chickens you know all of that bailed our own hay and was very hard working and everything that we did was based on how much work we got done and our my dad if he had a vacation then that vacation was spent showing his love language toward my mom fixing something or building something at the house holidays christmas it yeah. was all it yeah. was all labor intensive always labor intensive everything was labor intensive and uh, but it wasn't just him doing that work we all worked and so you know I grew up with we've got to get things done we have a schedule we've got to keep and we're going to keep it because we have to get X or A done before we can get to B and then eventually we're going to get all the way down to Z in this five-day vacation and so that's how Therefore, I have love languages that includes me hard laboring me. in the yard. If I'm sweating in the yard, I have a happy wife. <laughs> if I'm not cutting something or digging something or mowing something, then uh, she's not quite always happy. Um, and that makes her happiest with me if I'm laboring in the yard. And it's not like my dad didn't labor. He was a mechanic on uh, helicopters. But then he went into business and owned a very successful real estate firm, opened up five offices across Columbus, Georgia, and uh, could have been very successful, but he ended up selling out and uh, moving away. Long story, and I won't get into all of those details, but he was a, a very industrious individual, worked late at night, would come in 8, 10, 12 o'clock sometimes, um, He's a social drinker, so it was not unusual for me to have to go to the, the bar as a teenager with my mom in the car, and she'd make me go into the bar and say, hey, Dad, it's time for you to come home, and my dad would have to come out to the car and go home. Um, so he would come to church, 
he was a man of faith, but not men of church. Um, so in his world, you didn't have to quit drinking. You didn't have to do all this other, you didn't have to go to church every week. Didn't have to worship. You just had a, a quiet faith is the way he would probably put it. So two different worlds. Uh, in, and I think that's the same for everybody. How do you meld those two different worlds? And probably one of the great things is understanding your partner and, it's pretty hard to do that sometimes because sometimes you feel like you're speaking different languages, not just family background, but male versus female, the way a man communicates versus the way a woman communicates. What a man feels is important versus what a woman feels is important. The same thing true if you're the pastor. Um, I know I work hard to try and communicate to my congregation and after I'm done with an important sermon, I often have people call me, and I did today have someone call about Wednesday night's Bible study. And it was an elder in my church, and they called and said, hey, I didn't really understand this part of what you were saying. And luckily, we've got a great relationship with our people, and it's not a challenge. It's a um, understanding. I'm, I'm trying to understand what you were saying. And so we got to talk a little bit about what I was trying to say and you know you always think well could I have said that better could I have accomplished what I was trying to accomplish a little better but the same thing's true in a marriage you um, you only play ball when the other person is able to catch what you throw in communication to be in such a key point in a relationship often uh, a woman throws in a way that a man is unable to catch. And it's often true that a man throws in a way that either the woman is unable to catch or unwilling to catch. She may not want to catch what the husband is throwing. Um, and there's all these undertones in relationship. What do you mean by that? What are you trying to say? Why did you say it that way? What is it you're trying to get at? And so I think everybody is trying to understand. One of the key points in an individual's mind is pattern recognition. Uh, humans are better at pattern recognition than the, the biggest computer today. We can see a pattern where a, a very large computer can't. So you have the, um, the CAPTCHA that's still very popular today. Right. If you type in a password, you got to see where's the bicycle and click on the pictures with a bicycle. Uh, a computer can't read that as well as a human mind can because a human mind can pick up patterns, which is a very positive experience. If you're in the woods and there's something moving in the woods, your eye can catch that movement very quickly and identify, is that a deer? Is that a bear? Is he coming towards me? Is he going away from me? And your eye is attuned to that kind of pattern in the woods, something moving in the woods, it catches your attention. So the problem with that is we try to recognize patterns, things that are subtle, and we often misinterpret. So why are you looking at me that way? Why is it you're Why'd you smile at that? Why are you flinching? And we're trying to read the subtle clues that our body puts out, uh, trying to understand the other person. And the book Wired for Love talks about the, uh, the basic fundamental wiring. Um, they use the word the animalistic uh, part of your brain. And our brains are built to survive in the wild you know, to recognize danger. Uh, we have a fight or flight syndrome. So if something comes up, are we gonna run away? If the bear's uh, chasing us, are we gonna try to stop and stand and fight? Are we going to uh, fight with our spouse when there's a problem? Are we gonna try and step away and run and hide and go to the garage or, or it's that fight and flight syndrome, but that kicks in when we understand or what we understand. So if we think we understand what our spouse is saying, and we think there's an intonation to what they're saying, and we try to interpret that, we try to recognize the pattern. 
try to understand what you really mean, not what you're saying, but what you really mean. And anybody in a uh, relationship realizes that there's a lot that's not said. I just want to say um, with that, we've been married almost 42 years, but we still work on that, you know, trying to what is not being said. And I do my one of my main ministries in the church here in Elkhart is I do premarital counseling. And um, I teach what I wish we would have had 40 plus years ago before we got married. Um, I wish somebody would have sat us down and said, there's things that are going to become difficult whenever you have conflict and a female doesn't always communicate like a man does. She throws curves. Right. Sliders. Like he was saying, you know, that guy can't always catch that ball that the female is throwing. And I know Mark Johnson can't catch the balls that I throw at him, mm. nor can I catch the balls he throws at me. And most of the time I'm trying to dodge what he might be throwing at me. Uh, whether it's because I'm uncertain about what he's wanting me to do or uncertain of uh, what's ahead of us and it's conflict and I just want to avoid it. But what I tell my couple is, and, you know, I didn't, didn't want to do video, but watch for signs. You know, you and your wife, I hope that you recognize in your wife because you've been married now and you've got, another baby on the way, and obviously you've got a great relationship. But what is it that you see that's not vocal about her that's telling you, pay attention? And he noticed this, unfortunately not right away, but maybe a little, little while here. <laughs> but I remember the day that he goes, when you do your hands like that, I know I need to sit back and listen. I'm like, well. Here we go. You know, she she approaches me like this all the time now. When I'm talking, I'm doing that. You know, I'm folding my fingers together. I'm making a fist. I'm talking. And, and it's always the guy that says, you mean like what you're doing right now? I said, yes. That means I'm passionate about what I'm telling you right now. So you need to watch her. And then I tell her that sometimes... You're going to have to say to that man that loves you so much, please just listen. I know God made you to fix everything. And I know that it's in you to put a hammer in your hand and try and fix what I've got here in front of you. But I just need to tell you this. And, you know, find your place, sit down, and just communicate. Because communication is the most difficult thing in a couple's relationship. We know that because we pastor. And a lot of times it is just sitting down and talking about what's on your heart, what's about to make you explode, that you're afraid he or she's not going to understand. And so, in, and I never want to say you're not in love because I know they love each other, but there's so much more to I love you, honey. There's so much. It goes so much deeper. It's all of that everybody has insecurities my dad is gone but he was a tough man and sometimes mark will have to say i'm not your dad not sometimes i still <laughs> and so even though i love uh, him because if it's you know maybe we're getting too deep here but maybe no, maybe it's good. that male probably figure. this is marital counseling actually. yeah, yeah but, this but i know he loves me i know he loves me but there's that i pull back sometimes because she feels like i'm gonna be her dad and and come down yeah me, and he loved me he yeah. loved me you know but it was just like i mentioned he's very strong and could be very demeaning and well um, overbearing no time for any communication. Communication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get this yeah. job done. Let's not talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, which complicates things? Uh, the idea then that you've got an, an animal, a base response, that everybody has a fight or flight, 
Too often we use that base response when we're responding to our spouse. Are you attacking me? My wife used that word earlier. Are you attacking me? And she still thinks um, at, at occasions that when I say something to her that I'm attacking her. Or And I felt that way when she says something to me. Don't say it that way. And we, we really wrestle with, I'm just saying it the way I think it ought to be said. And the truth is, if your spouse can't catch it, then maybe if you change the way you threw it in a way that they could catch it and they didn't feel like they were being attacked. Because if someone responds with anger or frustration, uh, it's either fear, um, there may be fear you're going to be revealed or fear secrets going to come out or some kind of fear, or you feel like they're trying to attack you. They're trying to say you did something wrong or you did something stupid or... And the male ego has a real issue of being attacked um, and feeling under attack. And we can be very, on both sides, it's not me versus her, but we can both feel defensive. And, and I think that's our base characteristic. And you certainly need to develop beyond your base characteristic to show love um, I sit in counseling in my office and have to deal with couples who have been fighting for a long period of time and their base uh, response is the only response they have. They don't seem to have a higher analytical response. They really love me and what are they really trying to say? What are they trying to accomplish? And I'm going to wait and think through it. The idea that you speak and I'll listen is pretty hard if you feel attacked. You can often respond because you feel attacked, and it really takes some growth. Um, the book that I'm referring to talks about your ambassador, that higher thinking. And the ambassador does not take offense. Uh, you, you can't. You represent more than yourself. You represent your country. Um, and so you have to respond at a very high level, not at a very low level. So you, you, you have to be diplomatic. Um, you have to take a shot and not shoot back, which sometimes is hard to do, um, to try to understand and draw out, well, what do you mean? Ex explain. I'm hearing you say is a popular phrase to try and echo back to somebody what they're trying to communicate. Again, communication is not just saying it. It's the other person understanding what you mean. Right. It's it's the throw and the catch. And you're not really playing ball if you're throwing and they can't catch what you're throwing. And in counseling, I, I use a child. Uh, you throw at a child a certain way. You throw at a 10-year-old a different way. You throw at a 14-year-old at a different way. You throw at a, a collegiate athlete a completely different way than you throw it at any of those levels. So what level is your spouse? You know, what level are the people in your congregation? What level are the people at work? Uh, I worked for P&G for nine years as a contract computer consultant. And you had people in the line, and they had a certain response. And the people in the executive offices, and they would always have a different kind of response. And it was dramatically different the two responses and you had to communicate not according to your ability but according to their ability to to comprehend so i i, I deal dealt with complex computer issues and you had to simplify them when you're dealing with certain individuals um because you needed them to understand the goal what you're trying to accomplish and you didn't need to confuse them with technology. But I also found that true sometimes in executive office. They wanted a very high-level presentation. But they didn't want complex details. They just wanted the big picture. So who are you communicating to? If we're talking about love, the better you know the person you're talking to, their capacity, uh, and the better you understand their capacity, the better you can throw to them. And the more likely they're going to catch. Which is why it's so important that you understand uh, I, the love language of your 
partner of your spouse. Um, because if their love language is words of affirmation and that's the last thing you're giving this person, then it's hard for them to understand when you are communicating with them how much you really do love them. Because you never tell me that you're happy with what I've done or what I've accomplished. So you have to understand the level that they're at. And it's a constant change and a constant work, which is one thing that I tell my my couples too, because life changes so quickly. And so you're going to be, uh, you might go to bed at 50-50, okay, 50%, everybody's at the same level. But you get this emergency phone call in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden it's 80-20. And so you're, you're going to have to meet the needs of your mate at the 80-20, whether you're 80 and they're 20 or back and forth. And so you've got, you've got to know strengths and the weaknesses of your, of your spouse so that you can communicate on that level, toss that ball as he's referring to and how they can catch it that day. They might've been a collegiate football player yesterday, but today they're a 14 year old. They're weak. It it depends on circumstances. This week we've had two individuals that committed suicide. And so I've had to walk through situations with families and individuals, one, uh, I had to go in and go with the family, with the mom, to see her son who had committed suicide. It's a horrific, horrific event. Um, and as a pastor, I've been in lots of different situations, but you come back from that um, a little different than you went in. Even if you understand what, what you're going to face, it's still a difficult thing to face. And so the moment, you know, timing, all of that matters because I feel differently after coming away from that than I do my son's new baby that's going to be born here in a month. Um, So it it does matter to the day, to the hour, to how tired you are. Uh, There's a lot of marriage classes that teach you wait to talk to your husband after he's been home for an hour and after he's eaten supper. He'll be much better mood after he's had a little food than he is when he first walks in the door. And there's a lot of truth to that um, because we are different during the day and uh, how tired we are, what our experiences are. Um, There's scientific studies about um, your capacity to... um, maintain what's the word maintain um oh usually i can help him with this kind of stuff after 42 years but right now i'm not on that wavelength (laughs) it's your capacity to uh like sacrifice and self-manage and uh people who smoke have a great difficulty to manage their nervous the ticks the habits they get used to smoking and uh, it, it's comforting to reach in grab a cigarette light it to you know go through the motions of smoking and so there's all of these things that create a sense of comfort you take away the cigarette and they still don't have anything to do with their hands they don't uh, they don't have an emotional cover for all of those activities so you have to develop inside of you a um, an emotional response and a correct emotional response. And if you get strained, your tendency is to go back to your base response. Your tendency is to try and want to go back. And even people have been away from smoking or drinking for years. If they get stressed, they want to go back to that comfort that that thing it didn't provide a solution but it did provide some measure of comfort and we tend to revert back to our base behaviors from our adults that were around us our childhood our parents those kinds of things so but you've got to allow uh, your higher level self to be actively engaged right to find the patterns 
it's it's like I preach often to our congregation and to people that I talk with. God is good. I, I wrestle with people who uh, think God is evil. God took away my grandmother. My 96-year-old grandmother who'd been dealing with cancer on her fourth bout of cancer, and she finally died, you know, 93 years old, and God hates me because he took my grandmother. Well, that's, that pattern doesn't match. You know, that's not what that pattern says. And, and you have to help people understand that God's not angry. God's not hateful. I used to think when I was young, my dad would whip me with a belt. And so I always pictured God catching me doing wrong as a teenager, and he was going to whip me with a belt because that's kind of my father figure. Um, and I, I had to learn that God loves me. God's not desiring to punish me. It's not a longing to punish me. I think having your own kids helps you do that. You know, I don't want to punish my kids. I want my kids to thrive. Um, and, and God loves us. That's his base level. That's the lowest level of God. And he always wants to respond in love for us. But our world really has messed up that idea of love, what love is what love between people should be and that God is a loving God. I have a lot of people that their base level is God hates me. I've made so many mistakes. God hates me. And you can have that same base level with your spouse that she's going to do something to me. She's trying to take something from me. She's, or he's trying to, lord himself over me he's trying to dominate me in in the society we live in today you know we want equality and now it's turned to equity where everybody gets the exact same thing and there is no equity in marriage you know there's no equity in relationships there's there's just no equal outcome um sometimes in in marriage you know, I put in 80%, not very often, but it's more often that she would put in 80% in what she values. The home, the decorations, the beautifying, the, the cleansing, all of those kinds of things, those are things that she values greatly. And if I were living here by myself, we wouldn't have this home set up so beautifully. But I value all of these other things that she doesn't value. And so I'm spending all of my time working over here, valuing these things. And uh, I have to understand her love language, her way to communicate, and then my way to communicate and my love language, and they're different. And if, if I give her my love language and she wants her love language, she can be offended by my love language being given to her. And she wants to receive the way she wants to be loved, not the way that I want to love her. So that miscommunication, that misunderstanding uh, is a very, very basic thing that happens. But the reality of it is uh, she loves me. And she's not trying to take from me. I, I had a young uh, lady that was the girlfriend to a 30-year-old man that committed suicide. And she'd spent five years uh, with this guy, sometimes lived with him, sometimes they lived apart, and he, he never could find himself. And she spent five years trying to get him off drugs, five years trying to get him to quit drinking, five years to tell him he was good enough to be in a relationship with her, and he was a nice fella, and whatever. She tried to prop him up wow she worked for five years to try and have a relationship with this guy and he finally ends his life and she's left with five years of effort and almost no return and what a in some ways I call her a hero I, I can't imagine some somebody loving me that much 
you know, that they would put themselves out. She drove down, she actually found him. She drove down from Chicago where she lives to Elkhart and found him after he'd killed himself. Um, and she was just so concerned because he wasn't answering the text. She had to drive two and a half hours over here just to check on him after knowing, you know, all of his weaknesses and failures and insecurities. She really put her, put her love out there, put herself out there for this guy, and he never did receive it. It's a very sad story, um, and I've seen a lot of marriages and people in church leave the church because they couldn't understand the love that was being given. They just couldn't comprehend that God wouldn't actually love them and forgive them and, and release them from sin and embrace them and then change them, strengthen them, grow them into who they could be. Uh, and it's all from that basic negative concept of God. Yeah. You know, that God's going to punish me. <clears throat> and so you, as a couple... You have to maintain that base, that we're going somewhere together, that we're going to be safe here, that we're trying to accomplish this together. Years ago, I said to my wife, um, I, I want to be old with you, bald, fat, and drinking coffee on the back porch in a rocker. And we're almost there. We're not quite there, but we're headed in that direction still after 40-some years. But that really is the idea that you, you know, we're doing this. This is us in our bubble. I think that's exactly what love is, is there's never any question. Are we going to do this together or not? Yes. We love each other. Till death do us part. There's no option. You know, in these good times, like he mentioned earlier, we got a grandbaby due in three and a half weeks. And she's going to be born in Maryland, and I just am waiting for that call, and away we'll go, you know, whenever they tell us to come. And number seven, and I'm just as excited about number seven as I was number one, two, three, four, five, and six, because this is our life, and it's good. And yeah, there's tough times, but I committed I committed a very long time ago, even before we got married, I committed to live in life with Mark Johnson and that there would never be any question whether or not I was uh, going to walk with him through whatever it was that God gave us. And I really believe that's what love is. Yeah, it's emotion, it's feelings, but it's commitment as to this is who we are. It's never this is who I am. It's always this is who we are. And to God be the glory for what he's done for us and through us. And to step back and he mentioned our three sons and uh, that God has blessed us tremendously. We have three preacher sons that are preaching the truth and they have three beautiful godly wives. And now we have almost seven beautiful grandbabies that are in the church and love God. And man, it doesn't get any better than that. If people could just yeah, understand, yeah. you know, how good that it can be. Both the husband and the wife committed to each other, yeah. and you build generations. The Word of God said we're uh, under the umbrella of blessing, I'll say. And the blessings that we have in our life flow down to our sons and their wives and down to their kids. And, you know, everybody's blessed. We had a wedding this weekend, and, you know, just to hear the vows till death do us part. And I sat there, and I thought, man, this world just has thrown that away. Marriage is just easy come, easy go. Let's have a big party. Let's spend lots of money. But two years down the road, hey, sera, sera, you yeah. know. And that's that's not what God intended. That is not Well, it's not the design. Yeah. Right. It's not God's design for man. It's not what's best for us. It's not what's best for the family. Um, and it's almost believed today that that this kind of love and loving relationship is really it never existed. It's not possible. And um, 
I think, and I teach every couple in our church, that first of all, it is possible. Second of all, it is the design. That's the intent of God. And that we represent Christ in the church. And so our marriage, if it's strong and stays strong, then that represents Christ in the church to the people of my community. Um, and I know there's a lot of other things that happen in our world today, but scripture's pretty clear. God started with marriage. God started with it's not good for man to be alone. And he reflects his relationship with us in our relationship with our spouse. And the New Testament talks about that. The Old Testament talks about it. Um, and it is very foundational that our relationship is the foundation of our family, our church, our relationship with God, and our example to the world. So love bleeds through all of it. Well, and it was so important to Jesus and his precious little mother, Mary, that that's where the first miracle was performed, was at a marriage ceremony. And Mary was like, Jesus, Jesus, they're out of wine. you got to do something here. And he's like, Mother, Mother. But no, instead, he realized the importance. So, and that he was even at a wedding is just really a cool thing to me. You know, that Jesus himself, I don't know who that bride and groom was, but wow. Yeah, have God really show up at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now that's an elite guest, whether they knew it or not. But uh, yeah, it shows the importance, I believe, uh, and how Jesus himself performed his first miracle there. So love is important. It is very important. So cool. <laughs> so, I, so I feel like, obviously, you know, and, and uh, this has been absolutely tremendous content. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. Uh, I feel like the world um, and, and a lot of Christianity has, has sort of done this thing where we try to separate the different parts of our lives into these compartments where this is what's sacred. So my time at church, my, my worship to God, my prayers, my Bible studies, my Bible reading. Um, and, and so this other part is secular. So my work, my relationships. And, and, and so we try to separate these different things when, when really everything that we do, the Bible says that whatsoever you do in word and deed, you know, be, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also, you know, says that everything that we do should bring glory to God. So right. what that says to me is that every part of our life that includes our relationships, sh we should consider sacred. And if we're in alignment with the Word of God and, and we're doing what God has told us repeatedly to do, love your neighbor as yourself, um, you know, honor your wives, honor your husbands, husbands, love your wives, and it goes down, you know, and, and, and if we follow this biblical model, I feel like everything else will fall into place. What do you think about Absolutely. that? Um, my son works, um, he's bivocational, my assistant, and he has a job as a salesman. He's our oldest. Uh, and he uh, he's become the chaplain at work. Uh, the boss looks at him that way. And the, the owner's wife looks at him that way. Coworkers look at him that way. They actually come by and ask him, will you pray for me? Uh, and he has such a rapport with his plant uh, that everybody, I don't know everybody in the plant, but most everybody that interacts with him, uh, if they have something happening in their life, they ask him for prayer. And he'll open the door to his office, bring them into his office, and pray with them right there on the spot. Uh, the owner comes in and says, hey, so-and-so is having difficulty or has cancer or their child has something going on. Maybe we could pray with. And uh, two or three people will gather and pray with them at the office. So I work for P&G. You, you couldn't do it at P&G. <laughs> you just couldn't do it. I actually called 
the the ladies in the front office one time. I said, well, the girls up front will. And my manager said, what did you say? And this was 25 years ago or more. I said, well, the girls in the front office. He said, you would be fired if you said that at headquarters. And I said, fired? I could go up there and say the girls in the front office to their face, and they'd be happy about it because they were not young girls. They were middle-aged ladies, and they would have enjoyed being called girls. But in some places, what I'm talking about is not available. Uh, And certainly I'm in a Midwestern town in a very uh, religious community. We have a lot of Amish around us, a lot of Mennonite around us. So it's a very biblical community. So I do understand what goes here may not go everywhere that your listeners are, but surely there's room for it. Uh, We saw a football player fall over and die. And both football teams knelt down as they were carrying him off the field to pray. And then one of the sports reporters was talking about it. And probably most everybody saw a clip of that. And he said, you know, on national TV, he said, you know, what I think we need to do is pray that the Lord would help him. And right then on national TV, he bowed his head and the other two co-anchors bowed their heads and he prayed for him. Well, that's that's a national change of America in an instant. America recognized prayer. I didn't read anything about people mocking uh, all of those people praying. Uh, Maybe there was, maybe in some corners, somebody made fun of it. But the vast majority of what I read was extremely supportive of that kind of response, where just not too long ago, the idea that you would pray for somebody or pray for something terrible that happened was being mocked everywhere. Right. Um, What's the name of the quarterback um, that uh, played in college so well and then won the Heisman and came up to the NFL and they uh, pushed out after a year or two? He would, he would pray, and he was mocked soundly for praying before a football game. You know, it doesn't belong here. It's the wrong place, the wrong time. Get Put that back in your church. But we didn't get that response. So... Um, it's an opportunity for the church to uh, take off with. I'm sure you've heard of the Ashbury um, College down in Kentucky and its response. Um, I posted on Ford, some of your listeners will be familiar with the Ford on Facebook, the Ford Ministers Group, uh, and I posted a clip that I heard was the sermon that was preached that day. And it was a chapel service. It wasn't, I don't mean to demean, but it wasn't a fantastic dynamic sermon that was a call to prayer. But it was a basic heart-opening sermon that we want to be real, we don't want to be hypocrites, and we want to have God's love, receive God's love, and return God's love. Very simple sermon, and yet um, that happened. And then a a student got up and confessed his weakness and his faults and his longing to be better in Christ. And from that point, it was, and still is, they're still praying. And that prayer meeting is extending to other colleges now. Um, And so that, that basic idea of love, God loves us, was what the man preached. God loves us in spite of us, in spite of our hypocrisies or our weaknesses or failures. God loves us. And it, it generated an overwhelming response because, again, I think even in Christianity, I don't know that the, the base Christian always thinks first, God loves me. I think often our response is, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I'm in trouble. God's going to punish me. You know, I'm a bad person. Instead of God loves me, run to him. Throw yourself on him. You know, you might be broken, but if you pull away from him, you get crushed. The options are clear. Let's go 
to Christ. Let's be loved. Let's stay in the body. Let's stay connected. Let's stay in relationship. Uh, one of the wrestles, and, and I wanted to mention in this, one of the things that I wrestle with is families are so quick to separate themselves from their family, hmm. to end relationships, people end friendships and end long-term friendships uh, over something missaid or misunderstood. Um, feelings get hurt so easily. And again, I think it's from a place of, I don't think they love me instead of they love me, but they made a mistake. They didn't say it well, or they intended to say it, or that's, if people really had skills, they could say, that's not the way I received love. That's not the way I expect you to love me. Um, I hear people say, well, he did this. He said this to me in, into my ear. I hear somebody loving you, trying to help you, but to maybe a less trained ear, you know, they're attacking me. They're, they're being mean to me. They're, they're driving me away and friendships are ended. Relationships are ended. People backslide over some of the silliest things possible because they don't make love their first language and their first response. And I think when you love forgiveness ought to be your first response. Uh, it's hard to get to. Sometimes it's, it's like climbing Mount Everest. It's rare air up there to, to go where you're ready to forgive someone who hurt you. Right. But it is, it, it is the strongest, most godly choice is to believe in love first, that I'm going to love you regardless, and I'm going to forgive you regardless. Um, and that makes the most successful marriages. <laughs> I've certainly not been perfect, and, and she's certainly not been perfect, and so we've had to forgive each other, and I've had to forgive myself over my own stupidity. There are days when I think, how stupid was that? You know, and maybe even get a little flushed over something stupid I did somewhere in my past uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. So the base is love. And if you come from the base of love, you can build some really good things on top of that. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.